One of the core aspects of the message here at Christ Church that we find ourselves saying to people a lot is, it's okay to not have everything figured out. It's okay to not have achieved what you think you should have. It's okay to not have it all together. Um, and really, it's okay to not be okay. That this place is meant to be a space of deep needed relief by finding Jesus. And so we've been in this series now a couple of weeks called Come to Me, and it's about these famous words of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 11. And this is what's at the heart of it. Come to me and find rest. Find relief. And I think what we find, based on what we looked at last week, is that in Jesus, we have this beautiful combination of the permission to be more human, but because it's with Jesus, also to receive divine power and wisdom and blessing. That in Jesus, we have the relief of being honest about who we are, but we're also finding the greatest resource available ever because Jesus is God. And that's the beautiful combo. You get to be more human because you're in the presence of God. And the misconception is that God somehow doesn't want you to be human. That God doesn't want you to be weak or to be needy or doesn't want you to have to depend on Him. That's the great farce. God is not disappointed with your humanness. Do you hear me? Because God enters in and becomes fully human in Jesus, but does so righteously, in perfect relationship, in union with the Father. What we see in Jesus is what the real human looks like. And it's a beautiful vision, isn't it? So the words that we're going to look at today are essentially saying this. You can come to me and be fully honest for the first time ever and find everything you need because I am God. This is the deepest point of the heart of Jesus we're going to find. So let's begin a journey through these statements and through the invitation that Jesus is giving this morning. So he, the first line here is this, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That's the heart of Jesus' invitation. Come to me, all of you who need relief. Come to me, all of you who are carrying heavy burdens. Come to me, all of you who are being crushed under the weight of this life. But I'm guessing there's only a few of us that fall into that category today. Is there a more needed invitation in the world than that? And just sit in that for a second and just hear it. Everybody who feels crushed and overwhelmed and overburdened by their life. 
Jesus is saying, come to me. All those who have problems they can't seem to solve on their own. Any of us here? All those who have weights that they feel like they don't know how they're going to carry them for another day. Any of us here? All of us who feel so deep and desperately needy that you don't want to go to sleep at night because you don't want tomorrow to come. Anybody here? Now, we... When we read the scriptures, when we read the Bible, part of what it does is help us answer why do we feel this crushing weight. And there's two kind of main pieces that we see in the story of the scriptures that give us that weight. The first one is in the Garden of Eden. And it's this idea that I must make myself like God. So I have to be self-sufficient for my whole life. That's kind of at the core of the temptation in the Garden of, the, in the Garden of Eden. You, you need to be better. You need to be like God. You need to know all things, even though they were in a perfect created state of love and provision and God's purpose and call in their life. The temptation was, you should be better, you should be more, you should be like God. So that's kind of this most fundamental, and that's the piece that we really associate with what we call sin. It's this predisposition about, I have to live my life on my own. And I have to achieve everything in my own effort. And I have to be enough. I have to be God to myself. That's the root of what we call sin. Now, the other weight that we see in the Bible is this idea of law. And this is the idea that says, okay, if you're going to be God, then you need to be righteous. And this is what righteousness looks like. It's all-encompassing. It's your whole life. And these are all the things that you need to do. And not only that, because you have this problem of sin, this is how you have to solve that problem, and this is how you have to achieve righteousness. And so the kind of heart of the law is saying that this is what atonement for sin looks like, the whole sacrificial system. And this is what you have to do to make yourself righteous. And what those things reveal for us, and what we see in the scope of the Scriptures, is they teach us no amount of sacrifices seems to be enough to solve this problem. And no amount of religious effort on my part seems to make me better. So the law actually kind of leads to a place of frustration by design. The way the New Testament talks about it is to say God actually designs it that way so that we see not only can we not live on our own, but we can't save ourselves. So what we end up feeling, according to the Bible, is these burdens of I have to take care of myself, And I have to fix myself through religious fervor or or, um, zeal. Now, what we live in today, I think, our society, when we think about what Canadian life is like, I think it's especially like that Eden piece. And there's a labor to modern society that I think puts on us a very internal weight. And so here's a few categories 
I was thinking about this this week. I think this is the labor of what it means to live in this modern society. This is what's expected of us. Even though it was talked about, it was taught to us as empowerment. These are the freedoms you get to have and you get to choose in your life. But instead, what we're finding at this point is that this is actually a lot of responsibility and a lot of work. So we're taught you get to self-identify. You get to self-determine. You get to decide who you are and what your life is going to be about. And doesn't that sound free at the beginning? I, I know I talk about this a lot, so part of you, some of you are probably thinking, we've heard this. So let me try and move through this a little quickly. So those fundamental questions, then. I take on responsibility to answer. Who do I want to be? Which means also because I am, I'm not me yet. So how do I become me? Who do I want to be? What are my beliefs like about myself, about the world, about others? I've got to do the work you know, of researching and interpreting. and I've got to decide for myself what's the healthiest, most whole, the best way for myself. And it's this idea that somehow I'm just going to know in my gut who I am and what I should be and what I should look like. As, so I, I'm 40 now. I've been through some stages, not all of them. But I realize at this point, like, what I knew when I was 10 versus 13 versus 15 versus 20 is quite, quite a bit different, right? Like, if I would have made decisions at 10 to say, this is who I am, it's a very narrow view of the world and of myself. Like, I, I didn't have a full picture of who I was. But then we add to it in our society this idea, the labor of self-care and self-love and self-parenting. So part of what's being communicated is that you're supposed to love yourself in a way that forms who you are. You're supposed to care for yourself in a way that sustains you. And if you've got like childhood trauma and hardship of what you've been through, you also need to self-parent. That's a big theme that comes up in psychology and therapy, is that you need to self-parent yourself again. So whatever was wrong in your childhood, you have to reparent yourself. So notice already, though, how much existential pressure is being put on the individual person. So I have to, I have to decide who I am. I have to determine my life's path. I've got to love myself. How do I do that when I don't like who I am? When I don't know who I am? I've got to care for myself and now I'm supposed to be my own parent. Doesn't that seem a little challenging? How do I, how do I heal my own childhood impact? How do I give myself what I need and do not have? What makes me feel fulfilled? What are my needs? How do I want other people? What do I want other people to give me? How do I get them to give me that? How do I accept me when I am not me yet? It's so many complicated questions. And these are the questions I hear people asking when I'm sitting with them. And then we add on that this idea of the labor of self-expression. 
So this idea that if I express the projected me in my mind, if I can show it to the world, then I'll feel it. If I can convince other people this is who I am, maybe through the way I dress, or the way I act, or the way I present myself, the version of me that I want to become, then people will see it, and then I'll feel it. Does that sound difficult? Because now we're talking about how other people see me. So now the hope is, if I act a certain way, that John's going to tell me what I want to hear, which will help me then solve the conundrum of who I am. If you could tell me this, then I know who I am. And social media and this idea that I project a version of me and they get other people to like that projected version of me and then that will convince me that is me. That's the system that we're living in. And so we have to express this projected self and then we need to engage in the labor of self-actualizing to actually accomplish it. So I've got to take control and agency over my whole life. I have to then have the freedom to fully accomplish my vision of what that life looks like. And then I have to determine what about my society and my community and my world around me is stopping me from actualizing myself. And then I have to get those others to allow me to actualize myself. And then I've got to figure out what resources do I need in my life to actualize my vision. Because, let's be honest for a minute, part of our vision is like incredibly beautiful, oh, like worshipped, loved. Like loved like we're worshipped. We want somebody to absolutely worship who we are. Let's be honest about it. We want sex that shows that and achieves that as much or as little as we want in all the ways that we can possibly dream. We want, we project that we should be actually quite well. Like, very financially free, very financially um, overflowing. That's the projected self inside that we actually think somehow could be attained if if I could fully live the life that I'm meant to live. Okay? And that actually somehow I'm supposed to be able to accomplish that. And if I can't accomplish that, then there's somebody else at fault for that And now I need to deal with them so I can accomplish that. What a wild ride this is. Okay, and I know it sounds kind of like out there and ridiculous, but actually this is the dominant narrative that's going on in the back of our heads. Why don't I just have enough money to live in somewhere tropical and not have to work? Like that's some of the thought process Scrolling through Instagram. This should be my life. Isn't that kind of crazy? And, but we have this in all these different areas of our life, whether it be like physical fitness or emotional wellness or mental clarity or wisdom or financial success or occupational um, celebration, whatever, all these different categories In the back of our mind, we're thinking, why aren't I there yet? And I've got to figure out how to get there. 
And all of it leads back to this point of going, why don't I have the resources to get there? Well, I'm the one who has to provide for that, the labor of self-provision. How do I get the resources I need to actualize this? Do I have to work for these resources I need, or should someone else give them to me? How do I do that in a cost-of-living crisis? How do I get the resources I need just to survive? And now you're starting to come to terms with reality. I'm working with all the energy I have just to underpay my bills. So where am I supposed to find this other resource? Where am I supposed to find this strength? How am I sp- this is taking everything in me just to do another month, let alone self actualize, self-express? How? So, when you lay in bed at night and you feel like absolute garbage, exhausted, worn out, afraid of tomorrow, and flipping through your phone and seeing what you could have if you just worked harder. That's the pain that we feel. That's the weight. Now, the other side of it is this labor of religion, which I'm running out of time here already. So then you add into the mix this religious component. It's a recognition that I'm not actually able to handle my life, so I know I need to reach God. I know I need to get to God somehow. I'm aware of my sinfulness, of the fact that I'm falling short or that I'm weak or that I do bad things. So I know I need to atone for my sins. I need to fix my sins. I also agree with this idea that I need to actually live a good life. I need to live a perfect life. And this is where I think a lot of traditional expectations tend to come in about family and occupation and marriage and finances. And here's this kind of piece that goes, yeah, God wants me to do this well. God wants me to make the right decisions too. God has expectations for how I do this perfectly. So now we've got this combination of this inner weight and now this cosmic external weight. And then this idea that my church or whatever religious group I'm a part of has expectations of me and this is what it means to be healthy and to be righteous and to be mature. And so I've got to be zealous about my spirituality. Is this helping yet? Why isn't this helping yet? Okay, and then it's this system that says I'm deserve like if I'm blessed or if I have success, it's because I was deserving of it. And we're driven by this idea of duty. This other one's like driven by self, but now this religious system is saying, no, be driven by duty. And so this is the kind of human combo that we get, is this whole idea of self and how do I achieve it, and then this whole idea of God and how do I achieve that. And doesn't that feel lovely? Carry that. Walk with that. Live that. And don't have any cracks and don't get tired. Don't get weary about that. And if home is showing that that's actually not working and that's a mess and you're not doing okay and your kids aren't doing okay and your extended family is disconnected and you all hate each other, 
But on Sunday, we've got we to gotta present. Is that our message here? But isn't that the message you feel often when you go to church? That's wild. So here then we have Jesus going, this is what he's trying to get to is to go, you're all burdened and it's heavy and the religious leaders, instead of helping you, have just loaded up more expectations. Instead of making it easier for you, they made it harder for you. Instead of removing burdens off your shoulder, they made new ones and called them gods. And here Jesus comes to them and says, come to me instead. Instead of this world that says, pursue pleasure. And instead of this world that says, earn your way to heaven. Jesus is saying, come to me. And the image that he gives in this scripture text is like a beautiful thoroughbred horse or overloaded with heavy responsibilities turned into some dirty pack mule. And isn't that how you feel? You feel like you're in a system that's loading you up and calling you nothing. Designed for you to fail, but yet looks down on you for doing so. Do you feel it? You're made for more, but heavy laden instead. And so here Jesus is saying, come to me then, all who labor and are heavy laden, and what? I will give you rest. So he's saying, all the burdens you are carrying, you can transfer them to me, And I'll be responsible for them. And here's the two categories of your burdens. Either they are incredibly valuable, legitimate responsibilities, so much so that only God can carry them. Let's take kids for an, an example. Who feels the weight of their children? The responsibility of, it doesn't matter if they're grown or young, you feel the weight of your children, right? Is that because they're um, valuable? Because they're precious? Because you love and adore them? So part of what Jesus is saying here is that there are certain responsibilities that are so innately valuable that only God can be ultimately responsible. So there's an entrusting on our part to say, God, it has to be you because they're too valuable for little old me. Right? Or the other category is the responsibilities that are unnecessary, that we need an authoritative, higher power permission to finally go, dude, you can let go of that. Oh, thank you. Legitimately, thank God. I needed God to tell me that. Because the gods of this world are telling me the opposite. And then imagine the relief, knowing that He can do a better job at carrying them than you. And this is the relief that we're looking for. Then Jesus says, now I want you to rest. 
Essentially, I'm going to take the burdens off you and now just sit for a minute and breathe. This is why silence and quiet is so essential in practicing the way of Jesus. Is You need minutes to just breathe and be human. Give off your burdens and sit for a minute. Before anything else, you have to feel the rest that I offer, Jesus is saying. Stop laboring and recover. And so that's often the first and primary message you'll hear when you come to our church is relief before ministry. We want you to work with us. We want you to be a part of building this church. We want you to express your gifts and your call and your passions. But first, just breathe. You don't have to take on a bunch of jobs. Find the relief of Jesus. Because you're worth waiting for. Now, eventually, you're going to come to a place where you're like, is this all I do? Do I just sit here? Because I need to do some things. <laughs> and that's, that's fair. That's allowed. I can't, do, I can't sit forever. And to that part of your heart, Jesus then says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The invitation here is to say, I want you to actually join me. And the word picture is of sharing a yoke with another ox or another horse. And it's a yoke, so you know the yoke is the, the part that goes over the shoulder of the animal to pull a plow or to pull a cart. And it's a yoke that's designed for Jesus. And it's designed in such a way that He is going to do all the heavy lifting of pulling all of the the world's needs. He's going to pull all of the world's problems. He's going to solve all of the world's sin. And all of the world's righteous vision, He's going to accomplish it. And all the world's destiny, and all of our part in that grand picture, Jesus pulls all of it. Jesus does all that work. It's why we tell the Gospel from His life all the way to His ascension is because Jesus' good news does a lot of stuff. Like a lot of stuff. It impacts literally everything about the world. Everything about the human experience. Everything about history past and history future. About the cosmos. Jesus is saying, I'm the solution for all of it. And I'm the fulfillment of every good part of it. This is how big Jesus is. So this yoke is massive. And yet, in the design is a space For you with Him. And here Jesus is inviting you to learn from Him. So, He's going to teach a different way of accomplishing all these responsibilities. He's going to show a different way of bringing salvation to these problems. He's going to show a different way of living and of being. All of which benefits you. But the point, though, is that each one of these questions, each one of these burdens that you're carrying and that I'm carrying, He's working to answer or achieve. 
And Jesus is now saying, you don't have to be the answer. You don't have to achieve this. You have to give it to me, and I'll achieve it for you, but you're going to still be with me. You'll be alongside me in this journey. And the question I think it leads us to then is to go, what does that feel like? What is it going to feel like to be yoked with Jesus? And then he says, take, the, take my yoke upon you. So you've got to accept it. You've got to lean into it and say, I actually want this yoke instead of these burdens. Understand? It's not just a, here Jesus, take my burdens so I can fra-la-la on my own here. It's a, I'm going to take his yoke and Jesus is saying, and learn from me. So there's a teaching. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. One of my favorite pastors, his name's Ray Ortland, when he talks about this text of Scripture, he says, this is Jesus describing for himself what his heart is like. There's no other text in the, in the Bible where Jesus does it so explicitly to go, the deepest part of my heart is this. It's gentle and lowly. If you want to understand me at my most core being, Jesus says, gentle and lowly. So think of all of the expressions of Christianity that are harsh and angry. And Jesus is saying, at my heart, I'm gentle and lowly. And not just gentle, but lowly. <laughs> like, so the idea here is that he'll be gentle with his teaching. You hear that? So learning alongside him, he'll be teaching you gently. And not only will it be gentle, but it'll be lowly, meaning that it's accessible and understandable because he's lowered himself into understanding you, being with you, living what you've lived. Jesus is the most accessible person ever. And so the idea here is not only is it gentle, but it's accessible. It's the opposite of high and mighty to be gentle and lonely. Isn't it? And he is so in the depths of his heart. Meaning it's not an act, it's authentic. I, I try to gently parent my children. But it's not the most authentic thing in the world, if I'm honest. I'm trying to suppress the parts that are not gentle and, and express the parts that are gentle. Here, Jesus is saying, if you press me, like, this is the most authentic response. Meaning that when God enters into our world by becoming human and dying a sinner's death, it's because this is the contents of his heart. It's not a stretch or a striving. It's a passionate reflex of his nature. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is saying though, that this is the kind of teacher that he is. And what we can expect his training of us to feel like. Not harsh, not angry, 
without crushing, gentle and lowly. And here's the thing I can't help but think as I go through this text, is that salvation isn't just accomplished, it's mentored. Like salvation isn't just accomplished by Jesus, He develops it in us, He trains it. We have to catch it, or He works it out and applies it in us. He's still the main doer, so don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying, like, what do we add to our salvation other than need? He's still the one who does all the working, but it's so involved and so personal. It's in relationship with Him. So what does that feel like when we move into that yoke? You're being yoked to the triune God of love. You're being yoked to the Creator of the universe, the Friend of sinners, wisdom in flesh, Savior of the world, the Destroyer and Defeater of all evil, the Suffering Servant, the Great High Priest, and the Cosmic Judge, and the Punisher of the Wicked. You are yoked to Him, but it's gentle, and it's lowly. And here I am in that yoke, and one of the first things I do is I'm looking back at my burdens. Are we sure they're okay? That's stage one. (laughs) I've taken them off, but where are they? You know that, I don't know if I can let this go part. Worried that our stuff is going to get left behind. And then there's that part of me that's just always going to be pulling in the wrong direction. Always pulling this way and Jesus is walking that way. And then I'm going to have these moments of like, okay, I'm not going to resist. I'm not going to rebel. I'm not going to kick against the Old Testament phrases. Kick against the goads. I don't know what goads are. But you're not supposed to kick them. But it's this idea of like fighting in the yoke to, oh, this is so constraining. And yet, in comparison to the burden that we had before, this is actually a lot lighter, but we feel limited by it. But then when I'm like in my zone of religious zeal with Jesus, and I'm like, all right, let's do this. Then I'm, what am I, I'm pulling too hard, outpacing Jesus. And, he's, and as soon as I do that, it's like Jesus stops moving. I'm going to wait for you to stop that until we can move forward together. And then there's that moment then, after pushing too hard and Jesus is saying, pulling back, then I feel useless. What am I even doing in this? What's the point of this? What's my part in this? But then there's this space where we become awake to Him. We're not thinking about the yoke anymore. We're not thinking about the pace. We're not thinking about the burdens. We're not thinking about where we want to get to. We're thinking about Him. And we see, we're we're looking over and seeing His goodness. We read the Gospels We read the Scriptures and we see how good He is. And then we see His strength. 
We see his ability to carry the weights of the world. We see his ability to accomplish salvation. We see his ability to be everything. We see his grandness. We can see the muscles ripple at his pure, good power. And we see the wisdom of his way. And we rest in that spot where we go, I don't actually have to know how everything works. I don't even have to know how Jesus solves all of this. I don't even have to know how He's going to be faithful. I just know Him. And He's enough to know for this situation. And then we see the resoluteness in His eyes where we're wavering and there's chaos all around us and there's all of this drama and our eyes are looking this way and that and then when we see His eyes and they're just fixed on forward, confident, resolute, and unwavering on goodness. And then we see His faithfulness in the dark places, in the valleys, and we see His transcendent glory on the mountaintops. How beautiful He is. And the missteps Now, here's the beauty that I see about following Jesus now. Every misstep I make, do you know what it results in? Like if I pull this way, or if I do it wrong, or if I go too fast, or I push too hard, do you know what happens to me? I bump into Him. And I come in contact with Him again. And it's all the grace and it's all the forgiveness and it's all the strength. Like pushing too hard and wearing out and then I slam into Him and all I find is His gentleness to carry me, to sustain me, to be enough for me. I stumble into full-blown sin and He pulls me up and into Him. It's, it's pure love that we're yoked to. And he says, for those who come to me and learn from me, here's what they'll find. Rest for your souls. It's a rest that moves from just a functional rest to a soulful rest, an inner rest And the fruits of that rest are spirit that proves how good the way of Jesus is. Like, think of the fruits of the Spirit. Joy, peace, kindness, gentleness. That's the inner life that comes from a rest that's yoked to Jesus. Not demanding, not angry, not unforgiving, not obstinate. Jesus is saying that your inner self will not feel confined being yoked to Him. Will not feel controlled by Him. It will feel at rest in Him as your truest self. Without all the pressure. As though you have everything you could ever need. And his final words are this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
So all the questions about who we are get answered as a gift from Him. Because think about it. The more you try to self-identify and accomplish that identity, you find yourself needing somebody to affirm it. Or you don't feel it. And that points to the fact that our identity was never meant to be self-made. It was meant to be God-given. No matter how much you try to self-express and self-actualize, you still need somebody else to tell you who you are. It's in your nature. And here Jesus is saying, the love, the true, pure, eternal love that created the universe is calling you son or daughter. It's calling you home. And giving you this identity and giving you this place and giving you this provision and giving you this purpose and giving you this future and all of it is given as a gift promised to you out of His generosity, is endowed to you through your adoption, and is assured to you by His goodness. This is what an easy yoke feels like. I purposely fashioned this for you. This is the most you you will ever feel. This is the most empowered you will ever feel. It's the most alive you will ever feel. And it will feel like rest. It will feel natural. It will feel light. This, my friends, is the way of Jesus. Has there ever been a greater invitation than that? So if you would, close your eyes for a moment. I just want you to take a moment to feel Him lift the burdens. And to feel the Spirit of rest. That this is a yoke that factors in your weaknesses. This is a yoke that factors in your story. It's a yoke that factors in what you've been through. Knows your tender spots. Knows your biggest fears. Knows the particularities of the burdens you've carried. You picked some things up because they were just too valuable to leave. And there are other things you picked up because someone lied to you. And there are burdens you carry because someone hurt you.
And there are weights that you carry because you just messed up. All of these things Jesus knows. All of these things Jesus has factored in. All of these burdens qualify to be carried by Jesus. There's nothing so heavy or so terrible that Jesus has not intentionally sought you out to carry them for you. 